Hello and welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, welcome. This podcast exists for a simple reason, to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. In each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have about a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that's it. No fluff, lots of actionable tips and strategies that they and you can put to use to grow your audience and business. Speaking of no fluff, here's a sneak peek of some of what I've got for my guest and for you in today's episode. I'm going to give you a four-product value ladder you can use to organize your offers, including price points for each. I'm going to share three things to do when you convert a live course into an on-demand product, and I'm going to talk about the best way to build a powerful brand in a broad niche. Speaking of niche, if you're struggling to clarify your niche, you'll find my niche definer skill session really helpful. How's that for a plug in a transition? It's a 53-minute video presentation where I show you how to identify your target audience based on your specific goals, interests, skills, and experience, as well as how to communicate your niche in a way that attracts and resonates with the people you need to reach. You can get it at joshspector.com slash sessions. And I'll even give you a discount since you're listening to this podcast. So just use code niche25 at checkout to get that session for just $25, which is a 50% discount. Or you can also become a Skill Sessions member on that same page, joshspector.com slash sessions, in which case you get access to all of my Skill Sessions and the opportunity to join my monthly jam session calls which is basically uh, a Q&A with members and you can get free, essentially, consulting and help from me with your projects. Okay, enough of that. Let's get to today's guest. So today my guest is Dr. Corey Wilkes. Corey is a psychologist and coach who helps creators reach their potential and has worked with some of the top creators and communities in the creator economy space to help them build fulfilling lives and thriving businesses. Now he shares these insights in his newsletter, Creator Alchemy, where he explores topics like the psychology of human flourishing, online business, and content creation. You can find his work at CoreyWilksID.com or connect with him on Twitter at CoreyWilksID. He is definitely in this space, and I'm sure a lot of the things we talk about are going to be relevant to everyone who's listening and watching. So with that in mind, hey, Corey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. I am excited to, to talk to you. I feel like we're we're both sort of on the front lines of, of helping creators and in, and in slightly different ways. And I think we also sort of share in common that we're helping creators, but we also are creators. And so we're sort of, you know, working our way through both sides. It should be an interesting conversation. So with that said, let's jump into it. What is the first thing you want to know? Within the, the creator space, right? Beginners are always the broadest group, I feel. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to creating your own value ladder and free content versus paid content versus if you do service work like coaching, things like that, how do you think about constructing a value ladder as far as should you create your free content targeted toward beginners and then your paid products are more for people who are either already professionals or want to go pro versus targeting all of your content free and paid toward the higher level people within within your niche? It's a great question. And it's something that I haven't really talked about on the show. And it, it's interesting because I'm going to share my thoughts, but also I want to talk about sort of the framing of that question. Cause I think there's, there's some assumptions there that I think lots of people make that may or may not be, be true. So let, let's get into it here. So a couple of things. 
So number one, I'm a big fan of value ladders in general. So for people that don't understand what a value ladder is, essentially you have a series of products or services that you offer. They're at different price points and sort of they go up the, the ladder. It's a little different than a sort of menu where it's like, oh, I offer these four or five different things and they kind of have nothing to do with each other and maybe they're all priced the same and, and whatever. So what I like about value ladders in general is they're very strategic. And so I think even the process of a creator thinking through what my value ladder might look like is a good one as opposed to, you know, it's funny, I a lot of times talk about people creating content and I use the term like random acts of content. They're just like random, you know, but I think they do that with their products and services too, right? They're just randomly creating products because they're like, I think people want this. I think people want that. Having a value ladder, I, I like and recommend. And also, again, I think it forces a level of, of strategy, which is really what your question is in some ways. What should the strategy be with this value ladder? But the thing that jumps out to me that I think is maybe missing from your question and I think maybe missing from a lot of people is I don't think that you want to have multiple audiences. So you frame the question as, okay, maybe my free stuff is for beginners and then intermediate people sort of are the next rung on the ladder. And then as I get more and more expensive, I'm going up higher and higher level of pro and big creators and whatever, which is logical and makes sense. And by no means am I saying that, you know, you or other people can't do that. But the red flag to me is that those are completely different audiences. So I think that in a value ladder, what you actually want is all those products should be aimed at one specific type of creator. And it doesn't matter whether that's beginning creators, whether that's intermediate creators, whether that's expert creators, whatever. But those four things, that alignment, I think is really important because in theory, that person would potentially want to buy all of them versus I'm a pro, so I don't care about those other three. I only care about the top level or I'm a beginner because look, there are beginners with money that can afford a top level product and can afford more than just a sort of free thing. So my recommendation would be figuring out who the sort of ideal audience is and all the products speak to them, but the different levels are offering sort of different types of service. So let me give you some examples of sort of how this could play out. And again, I want to preface this by saying, I'm not saying that it should be pro creators or beginning. You can build a successful business targeting any audience or any niche of an audience, right? But I'll give you some examples for me. So I don't share any content about how to choose a newsletter platform or start a newsletter because my audience isn't the beginner. My audience already has a newsletter and I'm talking about content, but it applies to products as well. I don't share any content or products about how to manage a newsletter ad sales team. My audience doesn't have a newsletter ad sales team. They're not the sort of big company thing and they're not the just beginning, I've never started a newsletter. So again, you want your ladder to be built around different ways that you help the same person get the same result. I actually think that your free product and your most expensive product should be helping drive the same result just in a different way. So each rung helps them in a different way. And as you go up the ladder and you're charging more money for whatever that product or service is, it's becoming quicker, easier, or cheaper for them to accomplish their goal. The goal is the same on level one or level four, but the way that they're going to do it and the, the, the speed or the ease or the help that they're going to get to do it is what is changing. So let me give you sort of a basic, and you can have as many or as few sort of offers, product services in your value ladder as you want, but I'm going to give a sort of basic four item value ladder that I think would work for most people. 
And one note about pricing here is, and I can't remember where I heard it, but I heard someone say that as sort of a rule of thumb, there should be a 10x price increase between each ladder item. And that may not necessarily be true, but I think it's a really good starting point when you're trying to think through both pricing and sort of the relation between these products, thinking each level, well, if I was going to charge 10x for this, what would I have to do to make it worth that? And, and et cetera. So I'm going to include hypothetical prices in this example as well. So for this hypothetical, let's say that your target audience is pro creators. They're not just starting out, but maybe they're not the top of the game, but they're making some money. They're, you know, they're sort of in that quote unquote pro level or want to be pro level. So your free level of product is your content newsletter, social media posts, blog posts, podcast content, et cetera. It's free. It is helping them get you know, what a pro creator wants, right? So maybe if they want more money, they want a bigger audience, you identify what those things are. That's what that free content is helping. Then let's just say, again, a hypothetical price that your first paid product is $25. That product might be, it's something on demand. It's something that you've created once that every time, you know, that is scalable. And when people buy, you don't have to sort of do it every time. So it could be an on-demand video, could be an ebook, that kind of thing. Then we go a layer up from that. So 10Xing that, you go from the $25 on-demand product to a $250, let's say it might be a coaching call. So a one-hour coaching call. So now at that this $250 level, something that involves your time, probably uh, less scalable, but again, more helpful. Big difference for that person to get you on the phone for an hour than them just buying your video or ebook. We go from the $250 level, 10Xing it to the $2,500 level. At this point, maybe it's a cohort course, maybe it's a sprint, maybe it's a membership. One other thing to mention here is, you know, people might hear $2,500 and depending what their audience or niche is, they go, I don't, that doesn't work. This is total, right? So $2,500 might be a $200 a month membership. So it doesn't have to be a one-off product for $2,500, but the lifetime value or the value of that purchase is $2,500. So that's, that's important to keep in mind. And then if you 10X that, and this is where, you know, this is the sort of fourth paid rung on the ladder. I guess it's a five-step ladder counting the free one, but the fourth paid rung on the ladder, and this is where people go like, okay, so $2,500, now I'm going to have a $25,000 product. And people are like, oh my God, how am I going to have a $25,000 product? But again total value, right? So that might be one year of consulting at $2,000 a month. So you can figure out what, what it is, but you can see how all of those levels are helping the same people accomplish the same thing, but in different ways. And as you're going up the ladder, the, the ways that you're helping them are not only involving probably more time and effort on your part, but they're also going to help people grow quicker. It's going to save them money. It's going to, it's going to sort of do all of those things. Generally speaking, this is what it looks like. So you have your free level, which is content. Then your first product is some sort of information only product. Your second product is potentially a one-on-one, -on -one, but it's a one-off, like a one-hour coaching call. Your third product is one-on-one -on -one plus maybe a community or network. So cohort course, sprint, membership. Again, it all depends what you're doing and what you want to offer, but this just sort of gives a general framework. And then the fourth level is one-on-one -on, -one on an ongoing basis, consulting for a year, however you sort of frame that. So that's kind of how I think about a ladder and that those are the differences as opposed to each rung of the ladder being for a different audience. How does all that resonate with you?
No, that makes a ton, a ton of sense because that way everything is aligned and it's more so the only difference is a level of support or depth yep. that you offer. Yep, exactly. Cool. And also it allows people to scale up that ladder as, a, as opposed to going in and, and the other way is, oh, this is the only one that fits me. What I just described, all four of those things, theoretically, if they want it and if they have the money, fit them and help. So great. Let's, let's jump to your second question. What's the next thing you want to know? Like I said, I, I coach, I've coached some of the top creators in the world and continue to, to mostly work with creators and entrepreneurs. So over time, I turned those, my one-on-one frameworks that I used into a cohort-based course, ran mm -hmm. three cohorts of it. And then, you know, economically and things, it seems like a lot of CBCs or cohort-based courses, enrollment is down across the board for most mm -hmm. people, not all, but most people. Yep. So I decided to move it to a self-paced version and that launched about mm -hmm. a month ago. And I, I've been doing office hours, like monthly office hours and things, but I kind of miss the live element of it. And I know a lot of other people who took the live version and those who attend the office hours love that live, you know, social aspect. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious. What are your thoughts on some sort of a hybrid model of doing the self-paced, but also occasionally either doing quarterly sprints or maybe offering an upsell for a community? You know, just how, how would you approach a hybrid model of that sort? Sure. So first, tell me a little bit about the course, both the cohort version and now the change that you made to make it available on demand. Tell me about what it offers, who's buying it, what are they looking to have happen, that kind of thing. A lot of what I do is around building a life and a business aligned with your values. And I know that sounds like, it may sound like hippy dippy, like woo woo. But if, if anybody, if you follow any of my content, you will learn very quickly. I am, I am not a woo woo kind of person, right. but to me, right. flourishing fulfillment, those sorts of things, that life, that business is aligned with whatever you truly value at the end of the day. So mm -hmm. my coaching framework is a five-step framework where we basically identify what I call your core value. And that is what a life well-lived must be in alignment with. And then the rest is G-O-L-D. So how can we create goals that progressively move you closer to a life aligned with your core value? And then how can we identify or anticipate obstacles that could stand in your way or have historically stood in your way? And then how can we tap into your unique strengths and resources you can leverage, ZL, to overcome those obstacles? And then how can we just stay on the right path? How can we stay headed in the right direction and course correct if we get off track, okay? Mm -hmm. That is the frame. It's, it's very simple, but very yeah. effective because of how flexible it is. So five-step framework. The CBC was a five-week course where each week mm -hmm. was a specific theme in one of those mm -hmm. steps. And then now the course is, it has those five overarching sections as well. Mm -hmm. How many so, people would typically be in the cohort? Around 20-ish, give or take. And it was okay. 1,500 a pop. And did you have a, was it like a weekly call? So we did two, two hour sessions a week. So a total of 20 hours. And in those sessions, how much of it was sort of you teaching general principles and how much of it was sort of one-on-one -on -one kind of feedback? So the, the overall structure was we would go over two concepts per session. So I would talk mm -hmm. for about five or 10. They would do a solo five minute writing exercise and then a 15 minute group breakout with two other people because it was, you know, through Zoom. And then we would do that twice. So we would do an hour of instruction and like exercises, which, you know, we, we focused on taking action over taking mm -hmm. notes. So it was very action-based. And then the other hour was an open Q&A. So that way people could get answers to their specific problems if they needed to work through something, if they just needed support, 
or if there's a question that I hadn't covered in the, the live session, mm -hmm. that way it guaranteed at the end of every single session, everybody walked away with exactly what they needed to move forward. And they were getting basically time and feedback from you directly in the Q&A. And then they were also getting it from their peers in the sort of breakout sessions, right? Yeah, it, it was basically group coaching. I just called it a CBC. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think that, and I know you mentioned, you know, in general, and I do agree with this, that sort of CBC enrollment is down, but for most people, maybe it is. For some people, it isn't. But I'm curious, why do you think enrollment in yours specifically was down? Live courses are very inconvenient for a lot of people, mm -hmm. either because, so like I would have students in Australia or New Zealand and they would have to wake up at 4 a.m. if they wanted to attend live. That's super yeah. inconvenient for a lot of people. It is, it's, it's five weeks, it's 20 hours over five weeks that you have to sit there and only mm -hmm. consume that. That plus the price tag, I, I think is in line with a lot of other courses mm -hmm. and I never had pushback on the price. People were just fine with mm -hmm. it. But I think a big thing is just the time commitment of a live course. And the other thing that I realized, which is what eventually pushed me to do the self-paced version, I thought there was a certain magic that was only available in the live version. And that's, yeah. that's true to an extent, but not to the extent I thought, because a lot of the people who gave the highest praise for the course didn't mm -hmm. attend live because they were in India or Australia or something, and they only watched the recordings and they interacted in the community because when you circle, they interact in the community because that's where I would post like homework and things. So between the community aspect and just the value of the replays, everybody was fine. So I was like, oh, then okay. I guess I don't, it doesn't have to be live, mm -hmm. but I can occasionally do an office hour or something. Okay. So let me, let me add to this a sort of point and that that's really interesting. So you feel like the sort of on-demand version works or can work. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be live. I also think it's interesting when you talk about this stuff to understand that there are different people for different products. So there is no, oh, this works not live, but works not live for some people and probably works better not live for some people, but there's other people that it doesn't work for. So understanding that your audience and your buyers are actually multiple different people. So that's one thing to keep in mind as well is it doesn't necessarily have to be an either or like either I'm going to do it live or either I'm going to do it this, but maybe there's a version. I think you said you did it quarterly, maybe the live cohorts. I know I would do them probably every four to six months, give or take. Yeah. Okay. So understanding in your own mind that I'm making this up, but you know, maybe there's Maybe I do one live cohort a year and I do one and then there's on demand, right? That there are different segments of your audience. There are segments that will do either. And there are segments that are only going to be attracted to the live or only attracted to the on demand. So understanding that when you make a shift, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, that there, it may make sense and there may be a way to split the difference and serve those people that, that want one or the other. The other big thing I would think about is as far as enrollment being down, like I always like to, when I talk to people about this kind of stuff, is it a conversion or an awareness problem? Is it possible that after doing a few cohorts, you sort of burn through your core audience and one of the reasons enrollment is down is that there's an awareness issue or maybe you're getting the same amount of people to see it, but those people were not the same people that were your original fans and have all this, you know, built up. Or is it actually not converting as well? So that's something to consider because I think a lot of times people go, oh, this isn't selling. They assume it's a product issue, 
but it might be an awareness issue. It might just be like you've run through your core and you don't have new people coming in and and whatever. So it can be either of those things, but that's definitely something to to think about. The other thing, and I just literally read this, I read a great tweet today from, I think her name is Jean Tory. She's at J Tory Coaching on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it today. She had this great thing where she talked about, and she was talking about, I think, when she deals with clients or whatever, but I think it applies to this too. And she said, you know, asking the question when someone says something to her about, oh, this isn't working or whatever, she says, is that assumed or confirmed? And it's a really good question, I think, to ask yourself. And we all should ask ourselves about all of these things. So it was interesting because I had read that tweet, I think, this morning, and I was thinking about your question and saying, like, CBC enrollment is down and down across, you know. But thinking about all of this, right, and the live thing is a problem, 20 hours is a big commitment for each of these elements that are in your head going, is this my assumption or is this confirmed? Are people actually telling me I'm not buying because 20 hours is too big of a commitment? Or is that an assumption I'm making? Most of us, and myself included, make a ton of assumptions about both why people buy, why they don't buy, why something's working or not working, what is going to resonate with them or not. And most of those assumptions, we never actually confirm. So I think it's interesting to take a step back and look at all the assumptions that you have related to this course and go, okay, which of these have I actually confirmed? And which of these can I confirm? And most of them may be right. You probably know your audience pretty well, but my guess is in the process of trying to confirm some of those, you might be surprised. Again, like you, and you even said, like you sort of assume maybe this only works as a live course. And then you kind of realize, wait, that was just an assumption. This actually does work like this. And, and so- I think that's a good uh, sort of exercise to go through. And then the last thing I'm going to do related to this is I'm going to give you sort of three things that anyone can do when they want to convert a live course into a self-paced course. And, And these are things that I would recommend at least considering or doing as you sort of make this transition or as you're sort of uh, iterating on it. So the first one is, You know, I would look at your live course and pretend that you had to eliminate 25% or more of the material. Pretend there was this rule that was like, okay, here's all the stuff you teach and do in the live course. And to make it on demand, you got to cut 25%. What would you eliminate? Just as a hypothetical exercise. I think that in most cases, and this is true of content in general, what you will find when you go through that exercise is chances are it will make the course stronger, not weaker. So it's possible that your live course was 20 hours worth of stuff. The 15-hour version might be stronger. So that's just an exercise worth doing. Maybe not, but my guess is when you go through with the sort of forced attitude of if I had to eliminate stuff, not is this good, is this helpful, but if I had to cut, what would I cut? And then take a step back and look at it, you might find that it's stronger and it might tighten your on-demand product. The next one is which elements of the live course generated the most energy and excitement when they were done live. One of the advantages of having done a live course is you can see in real time how people are reacting to the exercises, to the whatever. What are the things that people were like, oh my God, this one was great. I had done a cohort uh, a while ago about how to get clients for your newsletter. And there were certainly things where it was like, wow, this one really moved the needle. Those elements that were the most powerful, depending on what they are, might be the ones that you want to turn into or keep as live elements. So that's a way to surface if you're going to have a bit of this hybrid and go, look, here's the on-demand thing. But those are the moments that you know, because that's going to make, if people buy and it's the on-demand and there's a couple live things they can come up to, 
or come to, you want those live things to be the ones that are really like, wow, that was powerful. So that's the second thing to consider. The third one is kind of related to that. Consider selling the live components as a separate product and or offer a package deal for people who want both. So if you pull this apart and go, here's the on-demand foundational stuff of this product, take it, do it. You can go through the exercises on your own time. Maybe it gets you access to a community or whatever it is. Awesome. Have fun. If you want the full package, if you want to upgrade, if you want a bonus thing, we do this series of live things. And again, based on what your product is, you can figure out there's probably a logical way for it. Here's the foundational stuff. Here's the live exercises where you're going to get feedback. You're going to get breakout sessions. You're going to get whatever. Now you sort of, again, you have sort of separate but related products, right? It makes sense for people to buy both. It makes sense to buy one for the people that don't, the live thing is too much or the time doesn't work, whatever. And it's also possible, depending how you frame it, that some people might buy the live one without the foundational stuff. Most cases they would do both, but now it affects, it impacts your pricing. It impacts sort of the whole thing. So I think that is a really interesting model and approach depending on what you do. And again, I think so anyone that is, you know, has a live course and is going to make it self-paced, just to recap, the three things that I would do is go through the exercise of thinking about if you eliminated 25% of the live stuff from the self-paced, what would you eliminate? Think about which elements of the live course are the most sort of powerful and then keep those or turn those into live elements and then consider selling those live components separately or bundled or packaged. Any questions about any of that? No, that's solid. Do you think that's something that would you could see fitting for your thing in terms of how you think about what's live and what's not? Yeah, I, and the self-paced version ended up being like three and a half hours. So from like 20 mm -hmm. to three and a half. So I already pared that down a lot yeah. too. Great. So let's get to your third question. What is the next thing you want to know? You know, my, my current tagline is helping creators reach your potential. Mm -hmm. A lot goes into that. And, you know, if, if people subscribe to Creator Alchemy or go to my website, there's a lot more behind like why I say that. But that is a very vague, abstract value prop. To me, it is a very valuable value prop to reach mm -hmm. your potential rather than letting fear and uncertainty keep you living in mediocrity. And then you get to the end of your life and you die regretting not having done more with your life, right? That is mm -hmm. my primary thing that I do. I'm a big Memento Mori fan using mortality as a motivator to live fully. So that is primarily what I do. And I do that through helping them reach your potential by using my background as a psychologist. But that just seems super vague and abstract. So like mm -hmm. how, how, how do you think about building a, a brand, a personal brand, whatever, around an abstract concept like that? I have to tell you, I absolutely love this question because it's a really hard question to answer. And it really challenged me. And I was sort of thinking about, all right, this is like, how do you do this? Like this, you know, and I also think it is incredibly common and it's something even myself, right? I talk about, oh, I help creative entrepreneurs grow their audience in business. And it's, and I go back and forth all the time. And I think, you know, I, I love the question because I think a lot of people struggle with it. I also like it because we can dive into sort of your specific case and this idea of fulfilling their potential, which is great and people want to do. And on the one hand, it makes total sense. On the other hand, it is sort of vague and, and that kind of thing. So I let's, let's start by sort of diving into kind of your specific brand for a minute and then sort of extrapolate some ideas. So the first question is, whenever your brand is sort of using general terms and help them fulfill their potential, it's really important for yourself 
and it can be whatever you want to define what does that mean in the context of you and your work. So what does potential mean in, to you in the context of what you're helping people do? So the reason I, I came up with creator alchemy is not that I'm like big into occultism or anything, but mm -hmm. alchemy inherently is about transformation and, and tapping mm -hmm. into the potential that is latent within you. So I focus on creators and entrepreneurs and I help them, you know, transform basically. That is a, a, a big piece to me because, and, and this is kind of backed up with research, but mm -hmm. too many people basically live in mediocrity and let me define mediocrity because sometimes people are like, oh, that's, you know, you shouldn't shame people for being normal. Mediocrity to me is knowing you were meant for more and wanting to achieve it, but allowing mm -hmm. fear, uncertainty, you know, the hedonic treadmill, those types of things mm -hmm. holds you back. And then you do that throughout your life. And then you get to the end of your life and you look back and you're like, damn, I wish I would have done something different. I wish I would have done mm -hmm. more because I was capable of more and wanted to do more, but chose not to. That is mm -hmm. my big thing of how can I help you not live a life of, of mediocrity and die with regret? I do that through giving you the tools to build a fulfilling life, to build a thriving business, to understand yourself better, to understand the limiting beliefs mm -hmm. holding you back, those sorts of things. That is overall what, and I do it from a psychological perspective, not just a, a business perspective, because that is a unique thing that I bring to the table. So here's what's interesting. And I think this is why I asked you that. And I highly recommend anybody that's sort of using kind of generic -y terms to go through the exercise, even for yourself of defining, like when I say potential, what do I mean by potential? And so what's interesting is one of the things you said there that, that stood out to me it's interesting, like you talk about transformation and immediately I go, okay, from what to what? So that's worth defining as well. Okay, you're going to transform from where you are and, you know, to, to whatever. But one of the things that when you were talking about that is you talked about that what's standing in the way of that transformation is often fear. So let me give you two examples of two completely different audiences. I'm not saying you do one or the other, but just to show you how this sort of specificity changes everything, right? There are people out there that want to quote unquote fulfill their potential. And they believe the only thing that is standing in the way of them getting from a life of mediocrity to fulfilling their potential is a lack of resources. I'm not judging it one way or another, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but that's person A. Person B is, I believe I'm meant for more, I could do more. I don't, you know, I don't want, I want the same transformation from mediocrity to fulfilling my potential, but my, I'm afraid. Those are two different audiences. So if you, instead of just saying, and again, this is a complete hypothetical, but the difference between saying, I help creators and entrepreneurs fulfill their potential, and I help creators and entrepreneurs overcome their fears so they can fulfill their potential, is the difference between attracting person A and person B. I might've flipped them, but you know what I mean. That layer makes potential way more specific, way more narrow, and way more clear and is gonna attract the people I'm using, I'm using fear as the example. But if that's really the root of the transformation, you know, if you're like, I would much rather have people that are like, teach me how to overcome my fears to get there than teach me how to get resources. By the way, there's an entire other great business that could be built on how to get resources so that you can fulfill your potential. But that layer, digging deeper into just, oh, I wanna fulfill their potential and defining those terms, helps you add clarifying statements which helps the niche go from sort of vague to more specific and helps you attract the right people and everything starts to feel more aligned and you can feel clearer, you know, just using that line and hearing you talk about it, 
I have a much clearer sense of what that means in your context, in your world, than when I just see fulfill their potential. You see this a lot in the self-improvement space, right? Where it's, oh, you're going to get happier. Okay. It's hard to stand out, but that specificity starts to differentiate. And you can imagine if you go a little further, right? Maybe it's overcome their fear and do this, that, and the other and go, you can build a whole narrative around that where you're like, the only things that are standing, not only, but my belief in me channeling you, my belief is there's three reasons that people don't fulfill their potential. It's fear. It's this. It's that. I help you overcome or change those three things. If you feel those three things are keeping you from your potential, I'm the fit for you. If you don't, go somewhere else. So that, that, that helps you become more unique in that space and focuses everything, your content, your products, your, that alignment really, really helps. Another general note, and this comes from when I was just first sort of looking at your stuff before talking to you or any of that is, you know, trying to wrap my head around, okay, what is, what does this guy do? What is it real? What does he really mean? What is he talking about? And I don't know that this is accurate or not but it's one of the things that sort of popped into my head is using reference points that people understand from sort of unrelated fields and pulling them into your niche. So one of the first things that came to mind for me is I was like, oh, he's a performance coach, but for creators and entrepreneurs, I think people understand the term performance that means something to them, to certain people, right? Maybe the right people, maybe not, but thinking about, okay, Forget creators and entrepreneurs for a second. Are there other people in other fields where people understand that term? I understand that Patrick Mahomes has a quarterback coach. I'm the quarterback coach for creators and entrepreneurs. Not saying this is it, but you know what I mean. Are there parallels that you can pull in that become an analogy or become a shortcut for people to understand? Oh, I get it. Like you compare, you know, I'm a quarterback coach for creators versus I'll help you feel your, fulfill your potential. I'm not saying it's better, but I'm just saying it, it sort of can help people understand like what, what this is and where you are. The next thing I would say is, and I think this is a really you know, important question for everyone to ask, but I think especially for your thing, is your ideal audience people who don't know what they want or don't know how to get it? So when you're talking about fulfill your potential, those are really different. And my guess is you can probably help both of them but there's probably one you would rather, niche and branding to me is all about ideal, right? Not only. It's if I had my choice, who do I, who do I most want to serve? Who do I most want to know about me? Who's most likely to get results? Who's the best? And if you ask a bunch of people like, hey, do you want to fulfill your potential? They're probably, yeah, of course I want to fulfill my potential. And then you ask them, do you know what you want? And you just don't know how to get there. Or do you need help figuring out what you want? Those are two very different people. And while you probably can help both of them, that to me is one of the things that I would think about if I were you, because I think it can help you define, right? So now I'll go back to what I said before. I help people who know what they want overcome their fear to fulfill their potential versus I help people who want more, but don't know what more is overcome their fear to fulfill their potential or figure it out or whatever. So my guess is, total guess, in most cases, you want the people that are easier, better to work with are the ones that know what they want and don't know how to get there. Helping people figure out what they want is a whole other thing. Like can be just as successful, but it's just a different, it's just a different thing. That's a big differentiator to me that I also think will again attract more of the right people for you versus my guess is you probably get a mix right now 
of people who are like, I want to fill my potential, but I don't even really know what my potential is, or I don't even really know what I want. And maybe you like working with them. Maybe you prefer the other, right? You know, like for me, I'm not really interested in working with people who are like, I just want to be a creator or I just want to grow an audience. If people tell me, help me grow an audience, I'm like, why do you want an audience? And they can't answer that. Bad sign. Not for them. Go figure it out. But that's not, you know, that's, I'm not probably the right, the right one. I will say there's also, I found a third category of people who think they know what they want. And then when they start interacting with me, my content, they're like, oh, I thought I did. I actually didn't. This is what I actually want. So that's, that's a, a, a weird mix as well. It's a, it's a great point. And what I think is interesting about that is they don't know that though, at time of entering into your world. So I think actually the people that are like, I know what I want, probably chapter one of welcome to the, I know what I want program is, are you sure you do you really want this? Let's go through that exercise and see if you really do where lots of people, but even then they're like, oh wait, I actually wanted that thing. And so they still, you know, but yeah, that, that is a really good point. You know, I always say there's a lot of people that they know what they want, but they don't want to do what it takes to get it. And if they, or if they knew what it takes to get it, they wouldn't want to do it. It seems good from afar. So here are a couple ways to build a brand around an abstract concept that specific things that I think you can do and exercises that you can think through to help you sort of hone in. So the first one is I do believe brands should be built around transformation. So they're, you're helping people from get from point A to point B, but the key is the more general that transformation is, the more specific the audience should be. So if your transformation is going to be, I'm going to help people fulfill their potential. That's pretty broad. Now let's get really specific on people. And so creators and entrepreneurs is more specific than people, but you can go even further, right? Creators who are afraid, you know, need to overcome their fear. The narrowing down of the audience. So there's two ways to narrow a niche and make it more specific. One is you narrow the transformation. The other is you narrow the audience. I guess the third way is you narrow both. But if you're going to go with a sort of broad general transformation, I recommend trying to get more specific with the audience in your, in your messaging. And the next one is, and this is also a big one. I don't think that you, you can't build a brand around something everyone wants. So there has to be someone who doesn't want it or disagrees with your take on it. There needs to be a line in the sand because a brand has to be for someone, not everyone. You can't have a strong brand that everyone likes and everyone agrees with. Even Apple has haters. Nike, there are things that people don't believe that Nike believes. So reach their potential, fulfill their potential. You will never find anyone that if you ask them, do you want to fulfill their potential, will say no. That's a problem from a, from a brand standpoint. But here are some examples of how you could tweak that where there would be some people that disagree with it even with the same fulfilling their potential general idea. You could say my brand is for people who believe psychology is the key to fulfilling their potential. Lots of people would go, I want to fulfill my potential, but I don't think psychology has anything to do with it. So now you've started to, you know, you need to come up with a way that some people are going to go, not me. It could be people who are ready to face their demons in order to reach their potential. Do you want to fulfill your potential? Yes. Are you ready to face all the things that are wrong about you and scare you? No. Okay. Not for you. Another one could be, People who are willing to invest a year in order to reach their potential. You want to fulfill your potential? Yes. Are you willing to meet with me every week for a year to do it? No. Okay. This isn't for you. Doesn't mean it has to be, but we're trying to, that's how strong brands are built. Perfect for someone, not for everyone. 
And then the last example, you know, people willing to take a step backwards in order to reach their potential. Oh, you want to reach your potential? Great. Are you willing to take a job that pays less? Are you, are you willing to start over? And what's interesting is when you start to go through these things and start to add these elements to them, two things are going to happen, right? Number one, some people are going to self-select out and go, that's not what I believe. That's not for me. But the ones who select in are going to be way more excited and energized and connected to your brand. And you could argue, you could make the case that the narrow that is, the more people are on the no side than the yes side of your line in the sand, the stronger your brand has the potential to become. And this can be done with any vague brand concept. A vague brand concept is not necessarily a killer, but it's a killer if you haven't sort of defined who specifically it's for and you haven't said who it's not for. That tension is what drives a brand. It drives affinity and strength from the people that are fans and want to associate with the brand. And it also drives people away because if you don't have that, people just go, that's, that's what we see all the time where you're like, you see all these brands, that just seems like every other person and thing that's out there. By the way, my newsletter, right, For the Interested, a one paragraph, often one sentence newsletter that I send during the week. There are people that love that. There are absolutely people that are like, do not send me emails every day. And why are you writing a newsletter that's one sentence? versus the same newsletter that everybody else publishes and writes. The potential for a stronger brand. And I think that's the key. And I think that's probably what seems like you're trying to figure out and kind of the missing piece for you. You can, and this is true for anyone, look at the dis definition of sort of your brand and who you're helping and what you're doing and, and the transformation you're offering them and go, is there anyone that doesn't want this? If everyone wants it, it's not really a brand. How does, how does, that, how does that feel? What do, you, what do you think about all of that? No, that makes sense. It goes against all of my training as a psychologist to be a generalist and apply to everybody. But right. it's but it, but that is part of entrepreneurship. Learning That's to shed some of my training to be more of an entrepreneur instead of just a psychologist. Yeah. And I also think one of the things that, that can help you and help people, like I always talk about ideal audience as opposed to only. And I think that to me is sort of the unlock that can help you figure out how to make it more unique. Because when you start thinking about, people are hesitant, this is true with niching down just in general, right? They're hesitant, so, but I can help this person and I can help that person. And I, you know, and I like doing this and I like doing that and that's all fine. But once you tell people like, look, I'm not saying these are not gonna be the only people that buy from you and are in your audience, not by a long shot. You know, I have people, I don't use Instagram. I'd much rather help people with newsletters. But I have people who buy my stuff and apply my, you know, like help, you know, I want to learn how to help with Instagram. It's never going to be only. But the question is, who do you want? If you had your choice, like you will have an opinion, right? I want this kind of person who believes these things, who struggles with these problems, who's going to, you know, take action or going to do whatever. I've had clients in the past, less so now because I'm a little more deliberate about it. But I've had clients in the past who might book a consulting call with me or, or whatever, and we'll go through it and I'll help them with a bunch of stuff. And they'll be like, this was amazing. Thank you so much and, and whatever. And then they don't do any of it. And they're not upset. They're like, this was totally worth the money. This was great. But I don't really want to work with them. I want to work with the people that are going to actually implement it. Because even though I got paid and they're happy, I'm like, what was the point? 
if you don't actually do anything with it. So even on that level, I'm sure there are people where you're like, I want the people that are going to do these, you know, just as a rough example, right? If you're giving people exercises to do on their own, you want the people that are going to do the exercises. You don't want to like, cause if you know that the exercises are part of the key to them actually making the progress, great. You paid me and you watched the videos and nothing really changed. That's a differentiation. And in your messaging, talking about that and putting that out there so that you attract, you know, everybody has an ideal audience that they want. It's not all, you know, all buyers or followers or whatever are not created equal. But I think what a lot of us do is we water down our messaging, our brand, our positioning, because we're worried about turning people away. And so you wind up with sort of this mixed bag, which by the way, also can be completely misleading in terms of your own products and metrics and stuff. If you attract a watered down audience as opposed to your ideal audience, and I'm just using an example of you put a tweet out and it gets a lot of likes. Maybe it's getting a lot of likes from the people that you don't really want. Maybe the one that only got two likes was from the two people that you absolutely want. So it can skew your perception of your whole business. You're not attracting the ideal, you're attracting everyone. And it's that those little things, right? You don't have to scrap fulfill your potential adding a little bit, making it a little more clear of this is exactly who I'm talking about and how to fulfill your potential is going to be a magnet for those, for those people and repel some of the ones that you probably don't want. If you haven't already um, talked about ideal, not only you definitely should, because that's a, a yeah, solid messaging. I have, I have talked about it. I don't remember where it's funny. Again, I'm guilty of, I have content all over the place and, and I don't know. And I know I mentioned in the podcast at, at various times and, you know, and I plugged not to plug again, but I mentioned that niche definer. I talk a lot about it in that niche definer skill session. And by the way, I should say in that niche definer skill session, one of the ways I frame this whole sort of define, it's very purposefully called like definer is I talk about in the very beginning of it, I use like an image of people carving a statue. And I think people think about niches, they're thinking about it in terms of, oh, I pick my niche. As if you're just like out of nowhere, like whatever. I think of it as you actually have a block of concrete or marble or whatever. And in that block contains all the stuff, your experience, your goals, your people you want to serve, all this stuff. And I think the process of the niche is actually carving it out. It's removing that statue, that niche is within that block and you're removing stuff to get from it, you're not creating out of thin air a niche. And so in that skill session, I go through in that way of the process of like, how do you carve away, which in some ways is what we just did a little bit, right? I didn't say throw out, fulfill your potential. I was like, let's carve away some of that block to get to the real core of this niche, this, this ideal audience. So again, if anyone wants that, go to joshspector.com slash sessions. You can get the niche definer there, use code niche 25 to get a 50% discount or just become a member and get all the sessions. That's my plug for the moment. Corey, thank you for the questions. They were awesome. I know what you wanted to know is stuff that a lot of my audience wants to know as well. Tell people where, and again, my audience is a perfect fit for what you're doing. So everyone that's listening to this should be going and subscribing to your newsletter and following you and checking out your stuff because you're, you're sharing a lot of good things. So tell people where they can find you, where they can get your stuff, all that. Yeah. So one, thanks for taking the time. And I very much appreciate yep. this. This has been super valuable. So corewilksidey.com is my main website. I am, I just started creatoralchemy.com. So if you go to either, you can subscribe to my newsletter. 
So whichever's easier for you to spell, that's fine. <laughs> right. Yeah, I asked Corey before we got on. I was like, so do I say it CoreyWilksID.com? Do I say like, how do I pronounce this? Yeah, my, my doctorate is a, is a, is a PsyD, a doctor of, of psychology versus a PhD. Yeah, so yeah. it's CoreyWilksID.com or CreatorAlchemy.com. And we'll keep it easy. We'll have, we'll have links in the show notes for everybody that, yeah, is, is lost like me. As far as my stuff, again, my newsletter for theinterested.com slash subscribe. I'm on Twitter or X or whatever all the time at Jay Spector. If you would like to come on the show and ask me three questions, go to joshspector.com slash questions to submit them. Corey, thanks again. This was great. It was great meeting you. I appreciate everyone listening and watching. And that's about it. Thanks.